Amen. Amen. Good to see all of you this morning. It's always good to see you. And it's always good to have a potluck Sunday around. It's been a while. Um, Because we take the summer off, and this is our first one then. So so let me just say this, and then we'll want to get in and share the message with you this morning. Um, We want to invite all of you who are here today to join us after church for our potluck over in the cafeteria across the campus. Uh, You may have come here today not even knowing that we were going to have a potluck. You just were coming to visit us here Or maybe you've been gone for a couple weeks and didn't even realize it was Potluck Sunday. We want you to come and we want you to stay and enjoy the food and the fellowship. Uh, It's going to be a great day. We're planning on having our foster group home that we work with here today. Those young men along with their leaders and uh, maybe even a few folks from the church that uh, also is associated with uh, some foster group homes. Uh, impacted for purpose uh, from Mesa. Some of those folks are planning on joining us as well. So it should be a very special day uh, here at the Oasis and especially for Potluck. I know that many of our people are away because it's fall break. Chandler school system is on break, so a lot of our regulars are away. But those of us who are here, we're going to have a good time. And we're going to have good food and we're going to have good fellowship and it's going to be all good. So... We just want you to stay if, if you can stay with us. Uh, we'll close in prayer uh, after our service is over, and then uh, you can just make your way over to the cafeteria and to eat with us, and we, again, would just love to have you. So we are in the middle of a series in the book of Second Peter. And uh, I don't think any other book of the Bible encourages us and inspires us to spiritually grow as Christians, like the book of 2 Peter. And we've spent four weeks in chapter 1. Starting next week, we're going to spend three weeks in chapter 3, but we're only going to spend one week in chapter 2 today. And some of you are going, he's going to spend the whole time in one chapter? Oh, we're going to be here for a while. Well... A little bit, but but here's why we're only going to spend one week in chapter 2 this week. Primarily, Peter spends a lot of time in chapter 2 talking to us about the character, or maybe I should say the lack of character, of false teachers and the characteristics of these false teachers. And if you read Second Peter chapter 2, you'll see that he spends a lot of his time talking about that. So, I didn't want to devote weeks to those things. We can read them and understand that for ourselves. I do think there's enough in 2 Peter that can apply to us, though, as Christians. Uh, on the other side of it, that it definitely warranted us spending at least one Sunday in 2 Peter before we move on to a couple weeks in the third chapter. So let's remember... As we move into chapter 2, though, where we're coming from. Again, chapter 1, encouraging us to spiritually grow, making spiritual growth the priority of our lives as Christians, telling us that we have everything that we need for life and godliness, that God has given us His precious promises, and through those, we have become partakers of the divine nature. Then he goes on and tells us, look, if we want to grow... 
We've got to make this book, the Bible, a focus of our life. He told us last week, this is reliable. This book is dependable. This book is certain. This book is sure. And he encourages us and exhorts us to pay attention to it. It is a light that shines in dark places. And we can be guided by it and directed by it and gain wisdom from it if we'll just focus on it. So we need to pay attention to it. And at the very end of chapter 1, he reminds us that this book, unlike all other books in history, is literally God speaking to men. This book did not come from men. It was written by men. But he tells us these men were carried along by the Holy Spirit and they were literally speaking to us from God. So that what we have today is literally God's Word. This is God speaking to us. And that's why we should prioritize it. That's why we should pay attention to it. It is a supernatural book. So, in chapter 2, as he begins to talk to us about false teachers and false prophets infiltrating even the church, what he's trying to do is draw a dramatic contrast between the way he ended chapter 1 with pay attention to the Word of God and focus on it and carry it with you always and all of that and know that it is God's Word to you in contrast to these false teachers who come along for this reason. If you and I, even as Christians, stop paying attention to the Word of God, if we stop making the Word of God a priority, if we stop focusing on that, then we will be way more susceptible to what is false. See, God created the human soul never to be a vacuum. So if we choose not to fill up the vacuum of our soul with truth, with God's Word, then we will seek to fill it with someone or something else. That's exactly what will happen. And that's why then even Christians need to make sure that we are throughout our Christian life filling ourselves up with the Word of God and knowing the sufficiency of the Word of God in our lives so that we're not even looking for something other than what God has already given us because we've come to understand there's nothing else out there that people can say or teach to us that we cannot already find in Jesus Christ in our personal relationship with Him and in the Word of God that He's given us. So that's why Peter says in chapter 2, verse 1, But false prophets arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. And the words among you are very significant. It literally means in your midst. In other words, Peter's saying, look, Christian, these false teachers aren't going to be living outside the church plying their trade. They're going to infiltrate the church. And they're going to come into the church, the body of Christ, and ply their trade there. That's why he goes on to say, These false teachers will infiltrate your midst with destructive heresies, even to the point of denying the master who bought them. As a result, they will bring swift destruction on themselves. And a lot of what Peter's going to talk about is the surety of judgment for these false teachers. They will be judged. So he's, before he goes into those who follow the false teachers and those, he's saying, look, 
They will be judged. They're not going to get away with what they are doing. In fact, he spends a lot of time beginning in verse 4 telling us, look, God didn't spare the angels that sinned. Uh, God didn't spare the ancient world in Noah's day. And uh, God didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah. So he's using all these Old Testament examples to remind Christians, look, these false teachers will do a lot of damage. They will not, you know, get away with what they have done. In fact, even James tells us in James chapter 3, verse 1, to all teachers that we will be held more accountable, that we are under a stricter uh, judgment from God because of the role and responsibility that we have in the body of Christ. That out of all people who will stand before God one day and give an account, teachers who stand up before people and say, listen, I'm, I'm speaking for God or on behalf of God, we're going to be ones held more accountable because we have a tremendous role and, and influence in people's lives and we better get it right, you see. So he talks a lot about that. But notice then what he says in verse 2. He says, many, not few, many will follow their debauched lifestyles and obviously their false teaching. Many will follow. How can many people within the body of Christ be following false teachers? Because, back to chapter 1, Christians aren't making spiritual growth a priority in their lives like we should. We're not paying attention to the Word of God, filling up on the Word of God. So therefore, when false teaching and false teachers come along, we're not able to discern what is true and what is false. And we're not being satisfied and content with what God has already given us. So we're looking for something else. And Peter would say to us, let's make sure before we go on any further... That we as Christians acknowledge the fact that what we have in Jesus Christ and what we have through His Word is sufficient. We need nothing else. We don't, there's nothing that a false teacher or a false prophet could ever dangle out in front of us that would be greater than what we already have in Jesus Christ. We must go back to what David wrote in that very familiar psalm. That if the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If I'm closely following my shepherd, then according to David, he's leading me to green pastures. He's taking me to still, tranquil waters. He's restoring my soul. He's refreshing my head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And David even says, my cup is overflowing. When we follow our shepherd, then we're not susceptible to the false shepherds out there who are plying their trade and throwing out there something as if we're missing something when we have Jesus Christ and when we have his word. And that's why the more we focus on spiritual growth and on His Word and continue to grow and fill ourselves up with that, then we understand we're not lacking or looking for anything. There's nothing you can tell me that's going to make me follow you. By the way, in the Greek language, this word follow has an interesting meaning. It means, in a sense, to be weak. In other words, 
Again, going back to the lack of spiritual growth and spiritual health in a lot of Christians, the reason why Christians will be susceptible to these false teachers and many will follow them and yield to them is because they're not spiritually strong. They're in a spiritually compromised position. They are spiritually weak. They have not grown. They've not made spiritual growth their priority. And therefore, when a false teacher comes along and brings in these destructive heresies, the Christian just goes, oh, okay, I'll I'll follow you. And again, we live in a world today, even in Christian circles, where Christians end up following people rather than ultimately following the Lord. And we better make sure that even if we are following a good example, and we should, we're encouraged to follow good, godly examples in our life, that we make sure that they're following Christ. That's what Paul said. You follow me as I follow Christ. You see. And yet people today, Christians, many of them so weak that another believer can take a bad turn and they just follow them right down that path too because they're not strong enough to be able to either stand up on their own two feet spiritually and say, well, that might be the path for you, but that's not the path for me. And that's what Peter's talking about here. He's saying, let's pay attention to the reliable, dependable Word of God. A light that shines in a dark place. God is speaking to us, and we don't need to listen to these false teachers. He goes on to say in verse 2, because many will follow these false teachers, he says the way of truth will be slandered, literally disrespected. In other words... Christianity will be disrespected. Christ will be disrespected because of the lifestyles that these false teachers will lead Christians into. And then he goes on to say, and in their greed, they will exploit you. Because all they care about is getting the money out of you. They don't really care about your spiritual benefit. See, here's what Peter's saying. This is why it's so important that, that Christians grow and are in a good place and focused on the Word of God, because if we are, then we won't be susceptible to those who don't have our best interests at heart. See, God always has our best interests at heart. And if we get that mindset locked in, and we follow our shepherd knowing that he's always got our best interests at heart, then we're not going to be open to false teachers and, and other people out there who claim to have our best interests at heart, but all they really care about is themselves and exploiting us. And I see it all over the place. I see it in Christian media. I see it in books. I see it on TV. I see ministries all over the place who are literally exploiting Christians and they're just, they're giving them their money and they're just following them as if they think they're doing the right thing. And they've given in to the false teachers. And notice he says, in their greed, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Again, their condemnation pronounced long ago is surely, you know, it's coming. 
and their destruction is not asleep. So again, he's saying, look, they're going to get theirs. <laughs> These false teachers are going to get, and they, they're going to do lots of damage. And God is going to hold them accountable. But he also holds us accountable for making sure we're not following what is false. And that we, again, are so focused on what is truth that we are not susceptible to the false teachers and the false prophets and the destructive heresies that are rampant out there today within the body of Christ. Again, remember, in our midst. So that's sort of the first place Peter goes here. The second place he goes in this passage is where if you jump over to uh, verse 14, he talks again about the character of the false teachers, which he starts to do in verse 10 again and goes all the way through, like, you know, verse 16. But I want to point this out. So in verse 14, he talks about the fact that these false teachers will have eyes full of adultery, never stop sinning. But notice what else he says. They entice unstable people. So again, Peter's saying, here's why it's so important that we focus on the Word of God and that we make spiritual growth a priority because a pool of people within the body of Christ that will be susceptible to these false teachers are not only the ones who are weak, who are not spiritually strong, who will just follow them and yield to them, but also those who are unstable. The word means unsettled, unsteady, restless. In fact, again, in the Greek language, it's a person who literally has the incapacity to remain in a fixed position. They just, they can't stay in one place very long. It's always, I'm going to go after this and I'm going to go after, never settled. And, and the outward unsettledness really is fueled by the inward unsettledness. See, again, if you and I as Christians are making spiritual growth the priority of our lives and we're focused on the word of God and letting God fill us up, one of the byproducts or results of that is spiritual stability. A settledness, a contentment, a steadiness, a consistency, if you will. And, and part of, of who are susceptible to these false teachers are those who are never settled, always restless. Again, never content with God and what they have in God and who they are in Christ, but somehow they bought into, I have Jesus, but I need something else in my life. Instead of listening to the words of Paul to the Colossians who says to us as Christians, you are complete in Christ. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's your wisdom. He's your power. He's your strength. Anything that you look at outside of Christ will be deficient compared to him. So there should be a settledness, if you will, that literally settles in to a growing Christian. Where I realize I'm home. I found where I belong. I have Jesus in my life. And even spiritually, very practically, even with church, you know, hopefully Christians can get away from 
just constantly rotating around and find a local church of believers where they finally feel like, I fit. This is what I've been looking for. This is the place where I can settle down and I can grow and I can serve and I can find friends and and all of that. I can settle and be settled, you see. In fact, I'm going to, I didn't even ask his permission. I don't think he'll mind. He's such a gracious, good guy. I don't think he'll mind. I'm going to use Brian Tammany as an example. Because one of the things, when, when Brian and Lois first came to the Oasis, one of the things that really sort of encouraged me a lot, because I knew who Brian, you know, a little bit about how strong Brian and Lois were as believers, he was, he was saying to me, he said, Jeff, I've been looking for a church like this for a long time. And he said, I didn't even know whether it existed or not. And I'm glad we found this place. I feel like I finally have found a place where I can settle down and where we can be. And I love to hear that. I, that's where we all should be. And yet, I know, my wife and I, we have family members who live in other states, who've lived there for years, and they're still trying to find a local church of believers where they feel like, I can grow, I can get fed, it's not legalistic, it's grace-based, it's friendly, it's, it's, it's hard to find. And so they're still searching And we pray and we hope that someday they'll be able to find a place where they can be settled. But again, the settledness here isn't so much a a local church. or It's more just that inward settledness that God wants us all to experience. It can only, again, come through Him. God wants us to be stable. God wants us to be strong. He wants us to be steady, and that can happen in our lives when, again, we turn our lives over to Him and we grow. Instead of that lack of contentment and restlessness, God wants to build that stability into our lives. And so, He goes on, though, by telling us in verse 17, another characteristic about these false teachers He says, these men are waterless springs. Now, don't don't miss the fact that Peter's talking here about spiritual refreshment. And I love the fact when the Bible uses the concept of the oasis, because that sort of fits, doesn't it? I use that when I can. Because really what he's saying here is, these false teachers in a sense, are promising you an oasis. But when you get there, it's a mirage. There's really no refreshment or water there. Then he goes on to say, in verse 18, by speaking high-sounding but empty words, they are able to entice. Again, empty. No profit. No benefit. It's like, it sounds really good, but at the end of the day, am I really spiritually stronger? Am I really further down the path of spiritual growth by listening to it? Or is it just all a bunch of gobbledygook in it? And it sort of sounds spiritual, but it never really fills up my soul. See, that's the character and characteristics of these false teachers. Waterless springs, and they use a bunch of high-sounding, empty words. Now, the reason, again, this is important is because 
The contrast is, when we fill ourselves up on the Word of God and on what Jesus provides, I always feel spiritually refreshed. I never have to live my life constantly seeking refreshment and looking to quench my thirst because my thirst should have already been quenched through my personal relationship with Jesus Christ and His Word in my life. And the only reason then I would even be seeking something else is because something's broken in my own life to where somehow I don't think that that what I have through Jesus is truly the oasis that I've been looking for and that place of refreshment and rest and restoration and all of that that I can only find in Jesus. What ends up happening very sadly is then Christians, instead of realizing that The only refreshment that they could ever find, they already have that through Jesus. They forsake that and they start following other things or other people who can never deliver on the refreshment that they just left because they left the only one that can really truly satisfy and fulfill us. And then they go to these other people who are just ending up waterless. So then what happens is they're disappointed. They're demoralized. They're discouraged. I thought this was going to be the answer. I thought this is what was going to make me fulfilled and satisfied. I thought this was the deal. I thought he or she was the deal. I thought this ministry was it. I finally found it. And it left them empty. Hollow. Because it might have sounded real good, but at the end of the day, their message was empty. Listen to the words of Jesus very carefully to the woman at the well from John chapter 4. Remember that interaction? Jesus looks at her and says, If you drink, gal, from that well right there, that water from that well, you will be thirsty again. But if you drink from the water that I can give you, Jesus says, you will never be thirsty In fact, I will create in you a fountain of water that springs up unto eternal life, Jesus said. See, when we forsake Jesus, and when we chase after something else other than Him and His Word, we'll never be full. We'll never be satisfied. We'll always be thirsty, and yet we'll always be searching in some other place to find what we can only find in Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what happens here. Instead of Christians coming to understand in their Christian life and through their growth that they have everything that they need, and that they just need to start tapping in to what they have in Christ And through his word, and they don't need to spend their whole life looking for some other, you know, breakthrough or some other answer or some other experience. They've already got it. That's that's like eye-opening. That's like freeing. That's why Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth can set you free. Because instead of Christians out there groping and trying to find something that satisfies, they finally have figured out that what I already have will satisfy. 
I just need to focus on it instead of looking in some other place. And then we come to these very sobering words beginning in verse 19 of chapter 2. Where Peter says, although these false teachers promise such people freedom, they themselves, the false teachers, are enslaved to immorality. For whatever a person succumbs to, that is what he is enslaved to. Then notice what he says in verse 20. For if after they have escaped, now he's not talking about the false teachers anymore. He's talking about the people who follow the false teachers. If after they have escaped the filthy things of the world through the rich knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and again are entangled in them and succumb to them, their last state has become worse for them than their first For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn back from the holy commandment that had been delivered to them. They are illustrations of this true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit and a sow, after washing herself, wallows in the mire. In the few moments we have left this morning, please let me just share these very important truths from this passage of Scripture that I hope, again, will encourage you. Because God wants to make us strong. God wants to make us stable. God wants us to know our sufficiency in Him. God wants to satisfy our soul. And God understands I'm the only one that can do that. And then, God wants to give us victory in our life. God wants us to conquer things, not be defeated. That's why Paul said to the Romans, you and I need to remind ourselves we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. But here's what Peter's saying. If I, as a Christian, am not paying proper attention to the Word of God, as I should be, focused on that, growing in my relationship with Jesus Christ, here's what ends up happening. I may, like Peter said, I may know the way of righteousness. I may know it up here in my head. And I may even reform myself, and and I may see some temporary, short-term, short-lived victory in my life for a time. But if I'm truly not disciplined to stay on the path of spiritual growth, instead of seeing real victory, instead of seeing me overcome the things that have got a grip on me and the things that continually drag me down and discourage me in my life to where I just keep cycling back around and keep repeating the same behaviors over and over again, That if I would just stay on that path of discipline, spiritual growth, I would see victory. I would see me overcoming things. I would see me conquering things and rising above things permanently. 
because I finally have gotten to a place where instead of me trying to fix myself or letting someone else fix me or to look for some human remedy or temporary relief, I finally get to a place in my life where I totally surrender to Jesus Christ and say, God, you take over my life and you do a work in me that only you can do. And you do it, Lord, not me. See, that's what Peter's talking about here. See, don't, don't, miss un, don't make the, the leap that some people do when they look at this passage that they believe that this passage is teaching uh, about losing one's salvation. I don't think it's teaching that at all. In fact, if you want to be technical, even the illustrations he used wouldn't fit there because the pig is still the pig. The dog is still the dog. They've never changed their nature. See? They, they cleaned themselves up for a time on the outside. It was temporary. It was external. But at the end of the day, the dog was still the dog inside and the pig was still the pig inside. And that's why they did what they did. And the only one that can make permanent change in our lives the only one that can truly give us victory to where our life doesn't end up being, boy, I, I really got on top of that for a while, but now I've went right back to my old behavior. The only one that can give us victory is Jesus Christ. And the only thing that can give us victory that is sustained in our life is disciplined spiritual growth. That's why he talks about they knew the way of righteousness. He doesn't say they ever did the way of righteousness. He said they knew it in their head. They knew that this was the answer that God was giving. That if I just stay on a path of spiritual growth, I will begin to see victory. I will begin to see myself conquer things. I will see God overcome things in my life. And I will be able to see this in my life. But again, in our quick fix Want the easy button solution society that we live in today that's even creeped into the church? There are Christians out there that go, well, I know that that disciplined lifestyle of spiritual growth may work to give me victory. But I'm not willing to make the sacrifices and pay the price to get there. So I'm going to turn to man's remedies. I'm going to turn to temporary relief in my life because he talks about the fact that that what we experience when we're just on that spiral, it's painful. It is demoralizing. It's like I want to I want to get victory over this, but I can't seem to get on top of it. And so we we get on top of it for a while in our own strength or through listening to somebody else for a while. But it's always temporary. It's just like the dog and the pig. Eventually, I go right back to where I was. And that's discouraging. In fact, you and I even begin to think, am I ever, ever going to overcome this? Is this always going to be a part of my life? Am I ever going to get on top of this? Or is my life just going to be a constant where I get on top of something that I know I need to deal with for a while and then I revert right back to the same old behavior? And see, Peter is saying to all of us, 
It would be better for us not to have known the answer than to know it up here and to turn from it. Why? Because one of the things that Peter is teaching us here is the greater the light, the greater the responsibility, the greater the accountability. And just like teachers, one of the reasons why teachers are going to be held more accountable before God is because we have greater responsibility and been given greater light. Therefore, and so he's saying to Christians, if you get greater light in your life and you turn your back on and ignore it, even though you know that's God's way, you know that's the answer, but somehow you're going to figure out another answer to get there, then Peter said, it would have been better for you not to have known it at all. Because one day we're going to be held accountable for that. We, we, we won't be able to say, well, God, I know I could have prevented my life from just being this very depressing, demoralizing, discouraging cycle where I tried myself or tried other people's remedies to get on top of something and I never could. And I lived my whole life just in that cycle. And God would say to us, but there was a way out. There was a way out. And you knew it. You just chose not to go that way. See, all the things we've talked about in 2 Peter chapter 2, all, if you will, the bad places that even Christians can find themselves, doesn't have to be that way. Through paying attention to the Word of God and focusing on the Lord and fellowshipping with Him and growing as a Christian, my life can look a whole lot different than what it might look like. And the choice is up to us. Because God's given us what we need, everything that we need. And so, when we as Christians end up in a bad place spiritually, we can't say, well, God, somehow, you know, I was lacking in what I needed to, to get out of that place. No, God will say, no, I gave you everything you, you needed. If you're in that place, you're there because you chose to be there. You chose to ignore the warnings. And next week when we get into chapter 3, we're going to talk a little bit about Noah and the flood. But I want to bring this up in closing today. One of the examples that he uses back over in chapter 2 is Lot. And of course he uses the whole destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah as a reminder that these false teachers are not going to escape judgment. They're going to get what's coming to them. But I want you to notice what God's Word says about Lot. I'm going to begin... In verse 6, he says, And if he, God, turned to ashes the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah when he condemned them to destruction, having appointed them to serve as an example to future generations of the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, in anguish over the debauched lifestyle of lawless men, for while he lived among them day after day, That righteous man was tormented, literally tortured, 
in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Lot stands as a great example for all Christians about a truly righteous person in God's eyes, someone who knows the Lord in a personal way, but someone who ignored the warning signs in his life and got into a very bad place. And notice, though, even then God still rescues him because he's still one of his children. That's that's the kind of God we have. And you and I know that to be true because if we've been a Christian for any life, we all know that there have been times in our life where we got ourselves into a bad place and it was only because the Lord had compassion and was willing to rescue us that we ever got out of that mess. It wasn't because Lot deserved rescue. It was because God is so good, he was willing to rescue Lot even though he got himself into that mess. But here's the point. How did Lot get to that place in the first place? Because he ignored the warnings. You know, if you know the story in Genesis, he's there with his uncle Abraham. And they're looking out over some land. And Abraham says, I'm going to go that way. And all of a sudden, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and what they could offer Lot, man, he was all of a sudden enamored by that. See, he's an example of a, of, a, of a follower of God who wasn't content with what God had or was going to give him, but he wanted more. And the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were out there like, like bait on a hook saying, come on and come in here because what we've got, man, you'll, you'll be fulfilled and you'll be satisfied and you'll be all this. And so Lot was attracted by what Sodom and Gomorrah could offer. And he may have even went down the road that many Christians go down. Well, I'm going to go into Sodom and Gomorrah so I can witness to those people. It's the way a lot, you know, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to associate because I want to be a light. Lot, did he get one person from Sodom and Gomorrah? No. In fact, because he went into Sodom and Gomorrah, he even lost his own family. He lost his... He paid a terrible price for ignoring the warnings of God. He, he was saved, yeah. God rescued him. Because that's the way God is. But he paid a terrible price for being open to something that never fulfilled the promise that it held And that's where we as Christians have to be careful today. Because we live in a world and Satan's out there and our flesh and all of that. And there's always someone or something else out there promising us something that's going to finally hit that sweet spot. Finally make us feel good. Finally fulfill and satisfy. Finally refresh us. So that we'll never be thirsty again. And Jesus who hopefully is already in our lives, is saying to all of us this morning, just like the woman at the well, you can drink from all that other water out there. If you do, you'll be thirsty again. But if you drink from the water that only I can give you, you will never be thirsty again. And that water will create in you a fountain of life springing up unto eternal life. Folks, let's keep growing. 
Let's not put ourselves in a position spiritually where we are susceptible to the false teachers and the destructive heresies. Let's be like David. Let's follow our shepherd closely. And let's say the words that David said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these powerful reminders. Lord, of what a life even that a follower of yours can have when we neglect or don't pay attention to our spiritual growth and to your word. We can get ourselves, even as Christians, in awful bad places, experiencing a lot of pain if we ignore your word. Because God, because you are God, you will not be ignored. You built into this universe that you created painful consequences for any who ignore your word and go our own way. But God, help us to see today the contrast of how full, how rich, how satisfying, how refreshing our life can be if we just follow you and follow your word. If we just make becoming like you the priority of our life, Lord, what a a great life we could experience on this earth. So God, I pray for every one of us here today and for all those who will listen to this message on podcast. God, may we be committed to becoming like you and making spiritual growth the priority of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.